We have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Are you a broken vessel, weighted down with discouragement, illness, or perhaps a disability? Well, take heart. Whatever your burden may be, God offers treasures that will transform your life. Hello, dear listeners. You're listening to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. And here are your hosts, Paul and Tabitha Norris. Charles Spurgeon once said, Great hearts can only be made by great troubles. We're excited to welcome two great hearts on our show today, a couple who's learned to the joy of brokenness through significant hardship and pain. Rick and Wendy Huntress, thanks for joining us. Thank you for asking us. Thanks. This is a real treat for us. You two have no idea what admiration we feel for you. For as long as I've had the privilege of knowing you, I can say you both genuinely exude the strength and joy of the Lord. We know the inner strength God's given you was actually born out of brokenness. So would you tell us how God brought you to where you are today? Tell us your story. Telling telling the story after 22 years, um, I often forget the important parts that people want to hear most or so if i start rambling just stop me because i tend to do that but um as far as my family goes uh wendy and i we were married young she was 19 i was 22 and four years later we had our first daughter after uh, many trials and wendy had surgeries and miscarriages and the doctors had said we could never have children. So we had sort of grown accustomed to that knowledge that the doctors had told us. Uh, but over the years, the Lord blessed us with two beautiful daughters. And um, our family, uh, it, on the outside, it looked like a very normal family. Uh, on the inside, I would say, due to myself, uh, it, I'm at that time in my life, I was what you would probably call just a nominal Christian. Um, we went to church every Sunday, uh, Wednesday, we did, you know, all the activities. We had our kids involved in everything, but there were still things in my life that were not right. And I, and I knew that and, and I prayed about it and Wendy knew about it too. It wasn't, you know, some, Everything in my life, Wendy and I, in our marriage, we've shared everything. She knows everything about me. I know everything about her, the good and the bad. And I think that probably has been one of the things that has kept our marriage strong is that we don't hide things from each other. Um, when I was 36, uh, I was uh, in the Air Force Reserves at that time, and I was working on a C-130 in... Uh, Dobbins Air Force Base, which is right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. And there was a hydraulic failure on the rear cargo door. And I was standing in the back of the plane under the cargo door, uh, guiding the loading of the cargo onto the plane when the uh, hydraulics failed and the door, which weighs about two tons, uh, dropped and hit me on top of the head and knocked me out uh, 
for about three days. Uh, I was sort of in and out. I think they were purposely keeping me kind of like in a coma, induced coma for a while until they were even sure I was going to live. Uh, Wendy got one of those horrible phone calls that no spouse ever wants to get, but they pick up the phone and, hello, this is Colonel so-and-so from the Air Force, and there's been an accident. And that kind of started the whole thing for Wendy and the kids. Uh, Wendy and my mother flew down to Atlanta uh, that next day. Um, the accident happened on a Wednesday. And the first thing I remember was seeing Wendy and my mother Friday night. And then they went to the hotel and came back Saturday. And Saturday was a start <laughs> of an entire new life for me uh, with physical changes, health changes. Um, I was now a TA paraplegic. Uh, my spinal cord was severed at the T8 level complete. At that time, Wendy and I had no idea what that meant. And when I say we were clueless about anything or everything, we both were. We had no idea. Wendy thought, always oh, been hurt. They're going to do surgery and he'll walk home and we'll be fine. Uh, we really had no idea what to expect. Uh, unfortunately, we were not getting a lot of information. Doctors were not forthcoming and telling us anything. So we just kind of had to go with the flow. Um, I was in the ICU for 20 days, I think. And during that time, uh, now Tabitha, I'm sure you've been in an ICU before too. Yeah. And they're not pleasant places to stay. Mm -hmm. um, you hear patients screaming, moaning, groaning. And the worst part is when they stop screaming and moaning and groaning because that probably means that they died. Right. And so that was the atmosphere that I was in for 20 days. And during one, um, one thing I should probably throw in here is while I was in the ICU, the visitation hours were limited at that time, things have changed so much just over the past 22 years of the way they handle uh, traumatic injuries now. But at that time, the visiting hours were limited. And I was not only dealing with the realization I was never gonna walk again, I was never going to feel again. I was on a bed that was a striker bed that was rotating 90 degrees uh, each way or 180 degrees actually each way, I think about every minute and a half. And so I'd be talking to Wendy on one side of me and my mother on the other side of me. And I just stayed confused the whole time. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> uh, they had me on a morphine pump that didn't help because uh, they were, you know, filling me full of drugs to try to keep the pain down. And the spiritual battle that I was struggling with um, all the years of my life uh, was now just building and building and building inside of me. And there was one night where uh, 
Wendy and my mother left, which was 11 o'clock when they uh, said they had to leave the ICU. And they were staying just like a five minute walk at a Fisher house right there on uh, the base where I was, uh, where I had my surgery. And after 11 o'clock, my breathing started going downhill, which happened a lot. So they uh, gave me uh, some albuterol, which is a steroid for to help breathing. And it, they gave it to me through a mask. And at that time, I hadn't had any of that yet. They had just kept waking me up and setting me up and patting me on my back to get me going again, you know. But this time they thought I was far enough along where they would try the medication. That was a mistake. Uh, and nobody, nobody's fault, but I do not relate real well with uh, steroids uh, that I know now. And it threw me into a complete panic attack, anxiety attack. And I just started yelling and yelling and yelling and screaming. And I just said, I want Wendy. I want Wendy. And they, um, nurse came over and said, you know, no, visiting hours are closed. That's it. Da, 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 da. So they started upping my morphine to try to knock me out. It did not. Uh, my tempo tantrum, if you want to call it that, uh, just got worse. So finally, the uh, nurse called the doctor, and the doctor said, well, let, let Wendy come up. So they said, okay, we'll give her a call. So now it was probably like 12.30, and they had called uh, Wendy, and my father came up with her. And they came in, and uh, as soon, I don't even remember seeing Wendy because I was just, I, my eyes were closed. I don't know what, I was almost afraid to open my eyes at that time of everything around me. And uh, I just... Everything that had been building up in me, all of the spiritual battles that I had kept in and been fighting to keep in, uh, instead of turning them over to God, um, I just let loose. And unfortunately, when you do that, uh, usually it's your spouse that gets the worst of it. Mm. So I just, you know, the words, I mean, everything, my fears, my frustrations, everything just kept flowing out of me. And I just had, uh, you know, a really difficult time that night. And I just um, ended this tirade that I was going through. Uh, I just broke down and started crying. And Wendy um, and my dad said a prayer with me. And then uh, Wendy asked if she could spend the night, and they did. They gave her permission to spend the night in the ICU with me. So they brought over just a straight back chair uh, in the ICU and set it beside my bed. And Dad left to go back down to the Fisher house, and I was just like, I don't know. I was just tossing and turning and in the bed and, you know, mumbling and everything else like this. And Wendy would try talking to me and her voice would calm me down. And she realized that. 
So, <laughs> um, I don't know, Tabitha, if you've ever heard Wendy sing at Bob Jones. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but <laughs> she sang uh, only the first verse, because usually that's all we ever memorize of hymns. But she sang the first verse of every hymn that she had ever learned in her life all night long to me. Uh, and so I would start going off again and then I would hear her voice and I would calm down. And, uh, so everybody that night in the ICU got witness to whether they wanted to or not, <laughs> but, um, it was about six, six thirty AM where I finally, uh, was back in my right mind. And Wendy and I, we talked, uh, we prayed, and and then she said, I need a shower. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, yes. I said, you go do what you need to do. I'm fine now. And and I was. I was, from that point on, uh, it seemed like I was turning things over to God physically, spiritually, whenever there was something that came up that I did not know how to handle, that was my refuge, was learning to give everything to God that I, that I had. Uh, and, and the only thing he wanted the whole time was me. That's all God all wants from all of us. He just wants us. He doesn't want anything we have. We have nothing to offer God but ourselves. So that's what we did. We... We went, I don't know, I felt like we were a real team together. Um, we knew many changes were coming, and they did. But um, I feel like we joined together, and we just went through them. And a lot of a lot of prayer, a lot of humor, but we just, we, we did lean on God more. And that was very good for all of us. So um, I just feel like it was a time we drew closer to each other and to God. Lord, well, you two have an amazing testimony, and even more so, we have an amazing God. Yes. Yes. I think a lot of times we place so much value on good health and a stable life. And, of course, it's wonderful to have smooth sailing, but... We just thank you for pointing out so well that it is it is truly better to be broken if that's what it takes to make us more reliant on God. Yes. Yes, it does. You know, some people with a, a new disability look at all the new limitations they may have and think life is over. Rick, what mo- help motivates you and helps keep a positive outlook on life? Like Wendy uh, just said, with me, it's probably humor. Um, I, you know, it's funny because a lot of people ask that question over the years. Um, You always, you know, you always seem so upbeat. You have a smile on your face, whatever. Um, But, and and they were like, don't you ever want to quit? Don't you ever just want to, you know, crawl into a hole and die and uh i'm just and i never did um people were telling me 
oh, it's going to take you five years to adjust to the injury and all the different changes. And then I met people like Dr. Mailer, who said, Rick, he goes, you are incredible of how fast you've accepted your injury. Uh, your injury was in 97. Here it is, 1998. You're back in school and you're working with me and, and you know, with peer support groups and speaking ministries. And that's what kept me going, I think, Paul, was just uh, that I still felt I had value. Um, I, God never, he never made me feel like all of a sudden uh, the, that the cargo door was a punishment. Um, and I don't think it was. And I've had people tell me that. Um, I think what the cargo door, I don't look at it as a punishment. I look at it as an awakening uh, for me to realize the importance of having God in my life and living my life for him and, and living my life for my family. And so when I, when I had all these things going on, I, I never, I never thought life was over. And Wendy and I, uh, we could talk for hours if we were out there with you guys about all the funny things that have happened. Uh, I could write another book about things that are funny in a wheelchair. <laughs> because Tabitha, <laughs> Tabitha, you must realize this as well. Um, just things that you, you know, you, you choose to laugh, you choose to cry. Wendy and I have always chosen to laugh. Um, and so we never felt discouraged. Uh, we had our days, we had our moments, of course, like anybody that is able-bodied. Uh, they have those same moments and days. But overall, uh, the motivation that kept us going uh, and the positive outlook that we had in life was just, you know, relying on each other, having a good sense of humor of when things did happen to us, and just trusting that, you know, we were in God's hands and in his plan. Well, when one one person in a fam family has a disability, really the entire family is affected. As you adjusted to life in a wheelchair, can you describe what it was like for your girls? They were very young at that time. Yes, they were six and nine, and they were so cute. But anyway, <laughs> Rick came up to Boston after... Um, a couple months down south and did his rehab there and the kids were there a lot and they took it all in stride and you know that I couldn't believe how quickly they accepted everything but um, every once in a while first one and then the other would come up to me privately and say mommy I'm starting to forget daddy walking and then we talk the different stories like whenever he mowed the lawn they used to both getting you know get behind him and we're talking about them mowing the lawn or or using them as weights to put them over their head. And they would immediately start saying, oh, I remember, I remember. And then they were all happy again. But um, they were a huge help. Rick was playing hide-and-go-seek with them right off, getting out of his wheelchair. And he was he was very involved as a father. They, they just adjusted completely well. 
a huge a huge plus was they became very used to other people in wheelchairs and disabilities and i i think that was just wonderful and full of questions I have never answered so many questions in my life. And the same same with the doctors. I mean, here you have these, you know, medical doctors doing all these things. And Kara's right up there with her nose watching and going, okay, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? How's this (laughs) daddy? I mean, it was just like unreal, the curiosity that they both had uh, about my disability they weren't afraid of it and so it was so it i don't know you know it it did affect our family definitely um but i just i god blessed me with a family that could see beyond the disability and still see me um i was more scared of things than they were like we'd go to the beach and before my injury, we'd be out climbing around on the rocks or playing in the waves and stuff like that. And after my injury, we go to the beach and I'm, and I'm sitting up there on the sidewalk and I'm watching them. And I'm like, what if something happens? What if they fall down? What if they fall off a rock? What if they're unconscious and I can't get to them? You know, I, I so I was the one that was more fearful. Uh, they had no fear in them either of them um i wished at times that they had more actually (laughs) (laughs) but um and wendy was on their side uh which was good uh she just said you know it's like god's gonna take care of us uh he's brought us this far and he's not gonna quit on us now and she was right and i just so it was lessons i think that i needed to learn more than the kids needed to learn this is a side note, but we, we get asked a lot about um, how to work with kids on disability because children usually do have a lot of questions, and mm-hmm. sometimes parents hesitate. Should I let my kid ask a question, or would that be offensive? And <laughs> But personally, I, I appreciate the questions and the, the innocence that kids have and how quickly they accept things they're often quicker to accept than adults <laughs> that's they my are. observation anyway <laughs> no that's our observation too and we and they're not afraid of people with disabilities now you know because of me uh so they spent their entire school years uh working with wendy and i and pastor mailer uh in a ministry that Pastor Miller and I started uh, down there in Greenville, and they were right there, you know, singing or playing musical instruments or helping people in and out of their vans or cars or, mm. or just talking to them and going to nursing homes and, you know, not be afraid to run up and give, you know, an older person a hug that they could see needed one. Mm. And so we just really appreciated the lessons that they were learning through my disability. Mm-hmm. We observe um, children when we're out, sometimes will kind of stare because they do have that natural curiosity and they see Tabitha in a wheelchair and they just don't understand. And a lot of time we'll see the parent kind of quickly, like, you know, hook, you know, shoo them away, like don't stare and kind of quickly go away. 
what kind of tips would you have for those parents um, to help maybe help them understand when they see someone in a wheelchair out in public? Is there something that the parents could do to help the children under, understand? Usually, um, if the parents are close enough, uh, and, and I've seen a change over the years in this, but it seems like I think a lot of parents are catching on now because of all the disability advocacy groups going on out there, mm -hmm. uh, that it's okay to ask questions. If I see, you know, a parent, like a little kid will run up to me or something like this, and the parent will be, no, no, that, you know, I'm sorry. And no, no, you know, if they have a question, you know, let me ask, you know, let them ask me their question. I really have no problem with that at all. That's a ministry that I do is like, teaching others to not be afraid of my wheelchair. Uh, there, you know, it's just a, a new way of me getting around. Um, if I talk to kids in strollers, I'll laugh with them, you know, and it's like, I've got bigger stroller than you do. <laughs> <laughs> bigger wheels. Bigger yeah. wheels. <laughs> we went on a walk last summer for Children's Crisis Pregnancy Center. Yes, awesome. Yeah, and there was a little girl there. She was like, I don't know, six or seven, but had some disease where uh, she was extremely tiny, but her she was very functional uh, cognitively and still talked. And at first, you know, she was just shy and bashful and stuff like this, but then it was like wherever I went, I could see her and I'd look and she was looking at me and then she'd look away, you know, and, but we became friends by the end of the day. But so, you know, even sometimes the person with the disability uh, can be a hindrance um, because they, it, it, uh, if they're older people, like Wendy's tried to help older people with disabilities and they've gotten angry at her for helping. Hmm. Like uh, Wendy is saying, um into them it's like oh you poor thing let me help you and wendy's not saying that at all when she offers assistance to anybody and her thing is she'll instantly say it's like oh well my husband's in a wheelchair and so i'm very used to you know opening doors and helping them out helping him out do things and i thought maybe i could offer you some assistance and as soon as they hear that okay she understands mm -hmm that she has a husband that's in a wheelchair. She's used to doing that. She's not putting pity on me. Right. Uh, the last thing, Tabitha, you and I want from anybody is pity. Exactly. Uh, so I think if we can get that message across to people, then we can be successful in them not being afraid of us. Right. When one partner has a disability, it can put a put a strain on the marriage or possibly put a strain on the marriage. You know, we're so thankful that God has kept your marriage happy and strong. What advice would you offer to other interable couples to help reduce stress and keep their marriages Christ honoring and successful? Well, first of all, um, when I look at Rick, I didn't see a disability. I knew there were changes and limitations, but I just knew he was the same guy right. and I was pretty smitten. So it, <laughs> I just feel, felt like marriage really was teamwork. We discussed things. We laughed a lot. Um, and I, the love didn't change. And um, there was just so many times that if, 
if I felt like I'm not having a patient day, you know, you just stop and think, this didn't surprise God. God put this in our lives, and this is what he wants for us. We knew we were a married couple. Um, we're representing Christ in the church. Our love is strong, and I, I did many investigations about love just to make sure I was trying to love Rick in the way God wanted me to. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have to change the way we did a few things. We didn't get up and run it, run it out the door. We we um, took a little longer, unless, unless he'd bounce out of his wheelchair. But um, <laughs> anyway, it, the marriage thing, I think we grew closer all the time through this. I always wanted the closeness. And it, it when you have a trial and you're working together, you just grow. You grow in the Lord and grow closer to each other, and you understand each other. We kept talking, and we wanted to know just how the other one was feeling. You know, there's a very simple uh, Bible verse that most people learn from when they're a child uh, from the 23rd Psalm, and it's uh, I repeated that psalm a lot in the ICU and over the years, and I still do. But uh, just verse one in that where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And and that want means for anything, um, anything that I need, anything that uh, I have to have in my life, God will supply it. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to want for it. And one thing um, that I think maybe a lot of couples could struggle with possibly because I struggled with it. I don't think Wendy did, but I, I'm the one that always had the struggles. Wendy always took things in stride and I struggled, but, um, is when your roles change, uh, the way that Wendy and I were brought up, uh, these are, these are the boy things and these are the girl things, you know, it was like boys take out the garbage. Girls don't boys rake the leaves girls don't you know yeah girls do the dishes boys don't and that may sound very archaic and 1950-ish but that's <laughs> just the way it was in our family and our and in, in, in our life and all of a sudden all of that flipped it reversed now wendy's taking out the garbage wendy's raking the leaves wendy's pruning shrubs that she has no idea how to prune uh, you know, all these new things that we had to learn. And I rem- was one instance in particular, uh, we lived in Maine at that time. And it was, uh, we had had a blizzard. And Wendy was out uh, early, early in the morning. And this, as a husband, and Paul, you should understand this because I'm sure you've got male ego like the rest of us do. <laughs> but it killed me to be sitting in the kitchen, looking out the kitchen window and seeing Wendy out there in this blizzard, trying to use a snowblower, shoveling, freezing, wind blowing. And I just got angry. I was just like, this is ridiculous. This is my job. I'm supposed to be out there. And that's when once again, it was like, I shall not want. And it was like, okay, then God, if I can't do that, what can I do? And so, so the dumbest thing I did that I could think of doing, because this is, I said, well, what would Wendy do if I was out there shoveling 
and cold, what would Wendy do? Wendy would make a pot of coffee and have it ready for me when I came when I came in. So what did I do? I made a pot of coffee. His first time. <laughs> my, <laughs> my first pot of coffee. I don't know how it tasted. It was good. But when, <laughs> but when she came in, she said that was one of the best things I've ever done for her in all the years of our marriage. And just a simple little thing like that that I as a man had never thought of. It was just like, I don't have to have a certain role to be her husband. And she didn't have to have a certain role to be my wife. We're a team, we do things together. I can do some things, she can do some things. And so my recommendation for inter, how did she word that inter-abled? I'd like that. (laughs) Inter-abled couples um, is learn to be a team. Don't don't fight against each other and thinking that, you know, it's like, no, you shouldn't be doing that or you're doing it wrong or I'm doing it wrong. And it doesn't matter anymore if the bed's not made first thing in the morning. It doesn't matter anymore if there's dirty dishes in the sink overnight. You learn to work as a team and just do things as they come to you. Oh, that is really good advice. Thank you. Well, the Lord's carried you through very fierce storms If you could name just one attribute of God you've learned to treasure as a result, what would it be? I would say patience. We were both going fast (laughs) before his injury, and we learned to slow down. And the verse, Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God, was very applicable. We really felt the change, and we learned to quickly enjoy it, realize that we don't need to be rushing every second and um, trying to keep up with life. We just be still and know that God is there helping us and with us. Um, we did notice that. Patience and trust in God. Yes. And that was one that I needed to learn was trusting God that no matter what's going on in my life, it's to make me a better Christian. It's to make me a better person to be more Christ-like, to grow closer to him, to grow closer to my wife, to help others around me. And so together, uh, Wendy and I, we both, those two attributes, I guess, God's got many, but uh, for us, it was probably trusting and patience that we both really leaned on heavily um, to see us through the storms. Well, it's been an honor to be able to speak with you today and hear your testimony. Your story has actually been published in a book uh, titled Better to Be Broken. And we'd like to know, where can our listeners purchase your book? Uh, Amazon is the best place. Uh, the It's got a high dollar value of the ebook, like a dollar and 78 cents or something <laughs> like that. You know, So most people can afford it. It never ceases to amaze us how our great God can bring spiritual healing and grace when you're broken. Rick and Wendy's testimony has deeply impacted countless lives, including ours. Be sure to tune in again as we continue our conversation with them on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in today to Broken Vessels, Hidden Treasures. It is our hope and prayer that you will find the grace and goodness of God even in trials. We'd love to hear from you, and your feedback is important to us. You can reach out to Paul and Tabitha with comments, questions, or to share an episode with a friend in need through our website at 
bvhtministries.org.